Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Julie, do you have any, any old memories, childhood memories, even uh, infant memories lost in the, uh, in, the, in the haze of forgetfulness, emerging in which you, uh, you're looking out of a mm-hmm. crib, out of a bassinet, yeah. and there's a, a grandma or an aunt coming at you, teeth ready. They're telling you they're going to bite you. Yeah. They're going to eat you up. Yeah. They're, I'm, I'm so cute as a baby. They're going to eat me up. They're well, just going to face those cheeks. Yeah. <laughs> I, ne- I do. That's one of my earliest memories. And I have now come to know these people as the, the cheek-pinching mafia. Yeah? Yeah. So, well, I mean, you have a daughter yourself. Have you observed family members or even strangers going in for a pinch, going in for a nibble? Talking about legs, like the fat on the baby oh. legs. I remember when my daughter, there was a certain period of time she got super chunky and people mm-hmm. were just like, I don't want to eat that up. Yeah. And it was disconcerting. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. So you yourself have never felt the temptation to go after a little thigh meat, to <laughs> no, a, little, a little neck sugar. No. And we should explain. These people don't actually want to eat the baby or do harm to it. They're just, they're experiencing an unparalleled level of joy, and yeah. they can't help themselves, and that's what we're talking about today. Yeah, it's important to note. Yeah, first, first off, let's just say that this has nothing to do with any kind of malicious biting. That's an entirely different, uh, different area of study, mm-hmm. um, and it's also something that not everyone is going to relate to. We ran into this a bit when we uh, we did a video on this topic, more specifically uh-huh. about a recent study that came out about this that we'll get into in a bit, and uh, and I think. We we went with the we went with the title that talked about eating baby feet or biting baby feet or eating babies etc. And uh, a number of people were were up in arms. <laughs> they were just like, "Oh, that's the that's disgusting! You people are monsters! How why would anyone yeah. want to bite a baby's foot? Babies are precious, or why would anyone want to get a baby near their mouth? Babies are disgusting! Like there were all these like a number of people got yeah. it and were like, "Oh yeah, I just want to eat this kid's uh, you know feet up." But uh, a number of people were just like could not connect with it on any level. And I, yeah. I ended up having to do a blog post where I was like trying to lay it out a little more and be like, look, nobody's saying eat babies. I know. And then like once again, someone was like, you guys are Satanists. <laughs> you know, we really aren't. We're not. Uh, really. But as a group, those guys are very interesting as a side note. Right. The Satanist. Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, uh, um, Anton LaVey, very fascinating yeah. individual. Um, yeah, I'd love to do something on Satanists sometime. Yeah. Yeah. That being said, we, we, aren't, we don't self-identify as Satanists. Now, what we're talking about is this kind of joy that is so intense that it's overwhelming. And I wanted to bring up Zadie Smith's essay on joy. Zadie Smith is a writer, mm-hmm. and she's, she's an essayist and a fiction writer. And in her essay on joy, she says, It might be useful to distinguish between pleasure and joy, but maybe everybody does this very easily all the time, and only I am confused. A lot of people seem to feel that joy is only the most intense version of pleasure. Arrived at by the same road, you simply have to go a little further down the track. That has not been my experience. And if you asked me if I wanted more joyful experiences in my life, I wouldn't be at all sure I did. Exactly because it proves such a difficult emotion to manage. And she goes on to say that food gives her pleasure on a daily basis, but she's really only known pure joy about six or seven times in her life, and some of those times involve romantic love. 
And so it's a very interesting essay about this. Um, and I, I wanted just to read a couple of other little bits here. She says, we certainly don't need to be neuroscientists to know that wild romantic crushes, especially if they are fraught with danger, do something ecstatic to our brains. Though like the pills that share the same name, horror and disappointment are usually not far behind ecstasy, right? When my wild crush came, we wandered around a museum for so long it closed without us noticing. Stuck in the grounds, we climbed a high wall and finding it higher on its other side considered our options, broken ankles or a long night sleeping on a stone lion. In the end, a passerby helped us down and things turned prosaic. And after a few months, it fizzled out. What looked like love had just been teen spirit, but what a wonderful thing to sit on a high wall, dizzy with joy and think nothing of breaking your ankles. And I love this because this is her example of something is joyful. It's it's a hard experience. Um, it's not pleasure. Hmm. And she goes on to say that occasionally her child is a pleasure, though mostly her child is a joy. And she says that means that, in fact, she gives us not much pleasure at all, <laughs> but rather that strange admixture of terror, pain and delight that I've come to recognize as joy and now must find some way to live with daily. Now, that this is great because this is exactly what is happening when we are talking about babies and this desire, this this voiced uh, expression of wanting to eat them because they're so cute. Yeah, I think you, you may have brought this uh, that, that second quote up to me before. I can't remember if it was on the podcast or just uh, uh, outside the podcast mm-hmm. after uh, after I became a parent because – I certainly when you, when you have a child in your life like this, it uh, it's a storm of different emotions, and mm-hmm. it's certainly it's certainly not uh, something you can just say, oh, it's a pleasurable experience. You can say it's a joyous experience, but under that umbrella of joy, there are times when it's you know tremendously pleasurable, and times when it's tremendously miserable, depending on the circumstances. Yeah, so it, it kind of makes sense that, especially through that lens, that mm-hmm. people would have that sort of reactions to children. And it's not just children, too. It can be puppies. I mean, really anything that requires care. Anything, yeah, childlike or or locked in, in into that childlike zone that's, uh, uh, in, in the case of a cat especially, or a dog, that's hijacking our, our child awareness. <laughs> yeah. Now, there's actually a name for this. It's called a dimorphous expression. Mm-hmm. And you've probably heard this before, like tears of joy. Yeah. I'm so happy I cried. It, I just, you know, just so overjoyed that you're just weeping as if somebody had died. Yeah. I mean, basically two different expressions that have the same origin. So that's where our cheek pinching aunts and uncles come in. And um, when people in highly charged positive emotional situations respond with tears of joys or threats of eating a baby foot or something, um, they're just really modulating their emotions. Yeah, you can imagine uh, somebody up there in the old brain machine manning the switches like it's a power plant. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, there's too much steam in the machine. You need to hit the release valve and let some of it out. Uh, in a similar way, uh, the, the little guy's manning the switches and says, all right, Aunt, uh, Aunt Thelma here is really about to blow up with uh, with positive emotion over this baby. Uh, what can we do? Uh, throw in a few images uh, into her brain of her nibbling the toes off the baby or you know, nibbling, nibbling a little thigh meat. And that'll bring things down to a manageable level. Uh, not that you're rationally thinking any of that, but the idea is that this is, this is all going on uh, under the surface. Indeed. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about the actual studies on this. 
All right, we're back. Uh, and, you know, I do want to say that I, I can relate to the, the wanting to, to bite the baby. Uh, yeah? Uh, specifically, You're a baby biter? Well, n- not a baby biter per se. But mm-hmm. there have been times uh, when I've been hanging out with uh, with my son, and if he's particularly well-behaved and adorable, I, uh, I have thought I could just nibble his ear. Like, there was one time <laughs> where I was like, I could nibble his ear. And then I was like, whoa. Is that dangerous that I just thought that? Was I, like, actually close to nibbling his ear? And then, of course, I ran across this research and everything was fine. But then also, like, some of the things, the various games you may play with a toddler where you you go in for a little neck sugar, where you're not actually biting the child or anything, but, you know, you're just kind of, like, um, you know, making a raspberry noise against their, mm-hmm. their fat little necks. Or you're, um, you're, you're just tickling them even. Like, there's a certain amount of, yeah. like, of, of threat and attack with, with cute embrace where it just all gets meshed up and you don't know which side is up and which side is down anymore. You know, I think about the tickling thing a lot because there is actually, there's nothing more joyful to me than to see my daughter just shriek, you know, (laughs) a tear of like laughing and also kind of like, ah, you know, the sort of Uh the crying laughing face It's the cutest thing in the world. Oh yeah. My son would go, we would tickle him and he'll go, he'll go, no tickle me, no tickle me. And then he he has a chance to catch his breath and he goes more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's a, there's a sort of symbiotic thing going on there. Um, now, psychological scientist and lead researcher Oriana Aragon of Yale University decided to check out this so-called cute aggression after seeing the actress Leslie Bibb on Conan. And um, Conan? Co- did I just do that? Conan. Conan. Okay. Yes. I was trying to remember the scene in Conan the Barbarian where there was... Uh Baby eating. There uh, may have been. Uh, may have been. May have been. I've been coming up with all sorts of alternate <laughs> uh, pronunciations today. But anyway, on Conan, uh, Bib not only expressed her desire to punch a baby because it was so cute and, <laughs> and kick a dog, but then she admitted that when she met uh, fellow actress Angelica Houston, that she told her, "quote You're just so beautiful. I want to cut your face." Oh wow! And and uh, so this researcher Orion Oriano Aragon was like, yeah, I got to check this out a little bit further, <laughs> because in this interview, Bib was obviously like very excited and expressive mm-hmm. about her emotions. It's like you can really see it overpowering her, and then they have to go to that release valve. Except, yeah. maybe an even more extreme version in her case. Yeah, like oh, she's she's the face is too beautiful. Make her imagine her slicing it off. Yeah, 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 it's a little frightening. All right, so uh, so Ar- so Aragon, who uh, you know devotes a lot of her work to uh, human emotional connections. Uh, so this isn't just her only thing; it's just a corner of her research. 2014 study: she and her team presented participants with images of babies, some more infantile than others. Um, you know, some cuter than others. You can mm-hmm. say. Uh, then they uh, charted their emotional responses to each image, as well as the, to the uh, duration of the emotional charge that they felt. They found that test subjects who showed more bitey, pinchy aggression when looking at a cute baby also showed a larger drop-off in positive emotion five minutes later. Yeah, and th- this is important because this is really showing that they're they're modulating their emotions. Mm-hmm. In other words, if they hadn't had some sort of cute aggression to temper their overwhelming feeling of joy. I mean, what would happen? I don't know. Would your aunt or uncle like strip off their clothes and run naked through the street <laughs> shrieking? Ah, you know, it's, this is important. You have to think about that the next time someone is cute, aggressive toward a dog or a baby. Like they, this person needs to bring it down. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're really dealing with cute overload. 
you're, you're risking acute overload at this point. And luckily, there is a, a response system in place. Um, so yeah, Aragon uh, suggests that uh, that this is all part, a matter of dimorphous expression, rebalancing the scales, normalizing after an intense dose of the acute, and that five minute drop uh, in, that uh, is observed in the experiment seems to demonstrate how the negative emotions allow us to moderate those intense positive emotions and restore the balance. So. Yeah, and, and Aragon did a couple of different online surveys here. So it wasn't just one study. Um, I think she started with a baseline of 143 participants mm-hmm. asking if people cried when they saw loved ones reunited or, you know, if they were watching certain movies, just to sort of test out whether or not these people were perhaps, I don't want to say uh, over-expressing their emotions, but were maybe a little bit more sensitive to these sorts of situations. Um, and then, yeah, she had a couple of other... Uh, surveys. Uh, one online study had 679 participants who confirmed again these sort of findings over and over again. Of yeah, if the the person would respond much more aggressively when they were looking at pictures of babies or you know cute things like puppies. Now the question is, is it universal? Well, we don't know if it's wholesale universal, but Aragon consulted language professors in different cultures. And yes, indeed, cute aggression popped up elsewhere in the world. In Tagalog, which is an Austronesian language with about 57 million speakers in the Philippines and Manila and and some other places, uh, giggle refers to gritting of teeth and the urge to pinch or squeeze. Mm Mm-hmm. And then in Farsi, it's not uncommon to hear an adult tell a cute baby, I want to eat your liver. Yeah. Which is <laughs> <laughs> like very good. Hannibal, right? It is. It, it's, uh, the giggle is, uh, is interesting, too, because we actually, one of the uh, viewers of the video, um, amid the people who were saying that we were monsters and Satanists, one person said, oh, yeah, we totally have a word for that uh, in, uh, right. in my native tongue. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, just, just, because, just because you don't have a word for it in English and cannot directly relate to it doesn't mean that it, it doesn't exist. See, we're not crazy. Uh, you know, that was another thing that came up in uh, in some of the responses to the video we did. Uh, and by the way, I'll link to this video on the landing page for uh, for this episode at StuffToBlowYourMind.com in case you want to go check that out and actually explore a YouTube comment thread. Um, it, it can be a life-changing experience. But there were people who were saying, oh, well, babies, babies are gross. Babies stink. Why would you want that anywhere near your mouth? And it's true. Babies do poop themselves and urinate uh, on themselves. And, and vomit on themselves profusely. But uh, if they're cleaned and maintained, they have a nice smell. Well, I, I kind of think it's not the fault of the aunts and uncles sometimes because they are emitting certain pheromones that make them smell lovely. Ah. And um, I had read about this before. I believe it's uh, that the idea behind it is that it's sort of a bonding thing. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on at the biological level between parent and child. Uh, and there are loads of studies on this. We've discussed some of them in the past here where it's, it's about the, you've got to form that bond. The, mm-hmm. the child has to have a bond to survive. And then in some cases, there is a resistance to the bond on the part of the parents because they may need to survive without the child. There's, like I say, tons of, of fascinating, uh, uh, like I said, there are tons of fascinating studies on this. Yeah, and I mean, what we're talking about is communication through scent, and that's not mm-hmm. so odd. We've talked about that a lot before. There's a study titled Mother's Recognition of Their Newborns by Olfactory Cues, and in that study, it was found that 90% of women could identify their newborn by smell alone mm-hmm. after just an hour with their newborn. 
So again, that, that I think that speaks to how important smell is. Um, how is that not a parlor game? That would be great, you know. Maybe, pass the baby around. Yeah, pass the baby blindfolded, and you have to smell which one is yours. That would be great, wouldn't it? It would be yeah. great. I think that's going to be a new sort of postpartum game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, in September 2013, in the issue of Frontiers in Psychology, researchers looked a little bit more into smell and its effect on people. They used brain, brain scanners uh, to scan the brains of 15 women, half of whom had just recently given birth, something like six weeks earlier, and half of whom had never given birth. And while they scanned their brains, they had them sniff the pajamas of uh, two-day-old infants. And these smells were shown to uh, to activate the uh, the, the subject's uh, reward circuits in their brain. Yeah, and it, now all of the women had activation in their reward circuits, mm-hmm. but it turned out that the women who had just recently given birth to their own babies were experiencing it perhaps a little bit more intensely. And when we say intense, we're talking about uh, like the, the feeling one gets after having obtained food, like the, the the baby, just the smell of the baby, and by extension, the presence of the baby is is a meal in and of itself. Yeah, that's what I thought was interesting too. You're right. It's it's the kind of stuff that that makes our brains like just say, hey, you got to seek this out again and again. Yeah. That food and sex and the baby would would elicit the same sort of responses. I think. Sh- Shows how important this is. Yeah, yeah. Um, Making the caring for the baby is on par with obtaining food. So, organism, raise this baby right. and continue to eat food. These are all good things and a part of your genetic mission. Go do it. Yeah. So it makes sense that this sense of joy that you feel when you look at this cute baby could be so overwhelming for some people, and they would have to bring out this modulating expressions of cute aggression <laughs> because it's really, I mean, this is, it's on par, as you say, with life or death. And when you look at it that way, you're mm-hmm. like, okay, I can understand that the grandmother's response, my response, or, you know, an aunt or uncle's response to this being. Yeah. It's tied into some of our most primal and important uh, wiring. So Indeed. that makes sense to me. All right. Uh, wanted to go ahead and close this out with a little bit more of Zadie Smith. And she says in her essay, Joy, the writer Julian Barnes, considering mourning, once said, it hurts just as much as it's worth. In fact, it was a friend of his who wrote the line in a letter of condolence. And Julian told it to my husband, who told it to me. For months afterward, these words stuck with both of us, so clear and so brutal. It hurts just as much as it's worth. What an arrangement. Why would anyone accept such a crazy deal? Surely, if we were sane and reasonable, we would every time choose a pleasure over a joy, as animals themselves sensibly do. The end of a pleasure brings no great harm to anyone, after all, and can always be replaced with another of more or less equal worth. All right. Well, on that note, let's call over the robot and do a couple of listener mail. All right. This one comes to us from Hannah. And Hannah writes in from uh, Northern California, says, hi, Julian Robert. I'm sure you got emails uh, last year when the Slug Love podcast originally aired, but I wanted to toss in my two cents. My sister is a UC Santa Cruz graduate. Uh, and as a lifelong resident of Northern California myself, I know a thing or two about banana slugs. 
Um, hell, head into these Santa Cruz mountains. You'll quickly find yourself knee deep in these slimy yellow guys slash gals. Because, of course, they're uh, hermaphrodites. Yes. Uh, first off, uh, UCSC does have competitive sports. Tennis, soccer, basketball, swimming, diving, golf, cross country, and volleyball are all represented intercollegially by the banana slugs. The mascot is named Sammy. Second, the banana slug was chosen as the, uh, at the insistence of the students in the 1980s when they apparently found the sea lion proposed by the chancellor to improperly, uh, represent the forest located campus. Sea lions rarely get very far inland, but banana slugs are freaking everywhere. Finally, there is a the tradition in Santa Cruz, especially among university students who have not all grown up around the gastropods, to kiss the first banana slug you see in a year. This will cause your lips to tingle due to one of the defensive chemicals present in the slug slime, and it will give you a little bit of street cred on campus. Go banana slugs, Hannah in NorCal. Go banana slugs. Yes. And I like that this college's uh, uh, traditions and rites of passages involve uh, actual intimate contact with gastropods. I think that's that's lovely. With its mascot. Yeah. Yeah. No, can't just you, eat. Can't not do that mas- though if your like mascot is a wolverine alligator, yeah. An alligator. Or a, a wizard. Where are you gonna get a wizard? Oh, you can get thing? wizards. Well, that's true. Yeah. All right, here's a bit of uh, listener mail comes to us from Cameron. Cameron writes in uh, on the subject of genetic memory. Hi, Julian Robert. I've been catching up on your podcast episodes and listened to the trypophobia episode. You were discussing the study of mice trained to fear the smell of cherry blossom and how that fear was passed on to the following generations when I was reminded of a similar study. If I remember correctly, I was watching a science news program called Daily Planet a few years back, and they were representing and they were presenting a study that was done to figure out why we hate or cringe at certain sounds, such as fingernails screeching on chalkboards. The researchers concluded that it was a defensive mechanism going back to prehistoric man. These sounds we hate resemble the sounds made by some prehistoric predators, and that defensive trigger has been passed down genetically just like the cherry blossom smell did on the mice. Sorry I haven't had the time to find the actual study for you yet, but I thought you'd find it interesting as it goes along quite well with your phobia episode. Thanks for the show. Enjoyable and informative. P.S. Is there such a thing as fear of podcast and what would it be called? Ha ha. And that was such a great uh, email from Cam because not only did it help to spin off a video about nails Mm -hmm. on a chalkboard, but at the same time we were researching the Grinch and there was a (laughs) bunch of information, some people positing that that the Grinch's um, disdain for the Who's was falling within that same range Mm -hmm. of nails on a chalkboard. I mean, this was just a lovely email that was intersecting with everything that we were doing at the time. So thank you, Cam, for that. And uh, I think a fear podcast, maybe podcast phonophobia. Maybe so. Maybe so. I wonder if it would be related to the fear of podcasts itself or the sensation of listening to podcasts or that that feeling you get when you look into your podcast folder uh, or on your device or in iTunes or however you listen and realize that you have so many episodes uh, to catch up on. There would be the anxiety of like, there's not enough time. Yeah, I, I used to get that when I was really listening to a lot of music podcasts. I've, I've really tried to limit myself uh, since I have a little less time for them these days. But I would occasionally like, I'd go on vacation and I'd come back and they'd all have stacked up. And I'd be like, ah, oh, that's like... It's 12 hours, 24 hours of podcasts right there. What am I going to do? I get that feeling when I look at our list of topics. Oh, we yes. have this running list of topics we want to cover. And I, I get, there's a sort of like excitement, but also like, oh my God, anxiety of <laughs> when are we going to get to that? How are we going to get to that? Indeed. I mean, there, yeah, there's some topics that we have had, uh, 
on the list really since the beginning, like something that for various reasons we just haven't gotten around to. Yeah, some of it just has to do with serendipity, though. Like, yeah. you know, it's the right time or, you know, we've had some other things cross our desk. Mm-hmm. We're like, yes, take it out. It is time to release the Kraken. Yeah, or and, and you know, sometimes it has to do with new studies that have come out that, that tell us, yeah. yes, now is definitely the time to do this because here's some actual science we can discuss. Yeah. Or just whatever is, uh, you know, thrilling us at the time. Yeah, so we're not all willy-nilly all the time, just so you guys know. Yeah. We're, we're somewhat intentional. All right. Uh, well, there you have it. Just a little bit of listener mail to uh, get you through the night. Or the day. Or the day, whenever you choose to listen. In the meantime, uh, be sure to check out StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That's where you'll find all the podcast episodes going way back to the very beginning. You will find all of our videos, all of our blog posts, pictures of what we look like, uh, links out to our social media accounts, all that good stuff. Indeed. And if you have some thoughts uh, that you'd like to share with us, especially with the, the baby stuff, like do you have cute aggression? Have you ever expressed it? You can let us know by sending us an email to blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 